I think health is not an absence of illness. I think the health is a quality of life that you have with the environment and people that are around you. And then it doesn't matter what you practice, really. If it makes you to be a better human being, I mean, you better communicate with your kids or your wife or your friends, then wow, you've done an amazing job in your life. What's up, guys? This is Matt from the Human Animal Podcast. Today, I have the absolute pleasure of bringing you a special interview with Josef Frusek of Fighting Monkey. Uh, before we dive into that, I want to let you know, thank you so much for following the podcast, for your continued interest, and for your support by checking out UnleashThePowerPlay.com and downloading my ebook, Playful, all about unleashing the power of play in your own life and the life of your clients. This has been just an awesome couple of months since the book release. I've been overwhelmed by your support, and please keep sharing and liking and getting the good word out there. And without further ado, let's get into this awesome interview with Yosef. Yosef and Linda of Fighting Monkey have been an inspiration to me from afar for a long time. You can check out all their awesome content on YouTube and Instagram, but it's only really recently that they've started sharing a lot of the different things that are unique to the Fighting Monkey practice. In it, you're going to see things like earthquake architecture and stuff that looks like coordination and dance and rhythm and movement and exploration and play and challenge. And I was really excited to dig in with Yosef and learn more about his foundational principles and how they've come up with such something that feels so unique in uh, a current movement culture today that seems to be very see and do, see other people do it and then copy it. So uh, this was an awesome interview. It went way deeper than I thought. And I was really, really pleased with, uh, with how it went. So check it out. And here's Yosef. Acting career, you know? Oh, really? I didn't know you had yeah, an because, acting career. No, well, I studied as an I studied as an actor, so um, that I thought I thought that is what I would do. Oh wow! So yeah, I mean, tell me about your background a little bit more. Um, the origin of Fighting Monkey and your meeting Linda. Did you meet Linda in acting school or was that later on? That, that was much later on. So, uh, you know, the, the history is very simple. I mean, there's nothing spectacular about it. Um, from very early age, you know, my father was always pushing me to sports. And um, I, had, I had to always play with them um, older and stronger. So I was always losing. And he thought it, that would be like really the best thing to do. If you play with the older, if you play with the more experienced, if you play with more powerful people, then you're going to rise with them. But it really created an opposite effect in me. You know, like when, when it really came to uh, solving really difficult situations, I always thought that I cannot win. It was very difficult for me to understand I can win when I was always losing. So I, I left that. Um, uh, I left that for um, like an acting classes as a, as a, as a very young child. And uh and then, um, and then I was playing basketball until I went to, I was selected for junior national team, but that I abandoned before I get there because I got accepted to art school mm. and that felt to me like a much better choice, <laughs> less work and more, more fame, you know? So it seems like you have these two elements that are kind of always circling each other then in, in your work, right? Kind of the sports aspect and the art aspect. 
I think they're inseparable. When you look, when you really look at the like the best athletes, they call themselves also also um, artists. You know, like everyone says, oh, I have my own move. I have created this. I have invented another game. I am I am a hero. They they talk. They have very artistic language. And also their art, you know, like whatever it would be, martial arts, whatever sport, they, they call it art and it is an art, you know. So I think this metaphorical language that we might use, in, we must use in our training because we gave up very much, very early now of uh, last century, we gave a, a green light to science that is going to solve all. But I think this metaphorical language, the way you talk to yourself as an athlete, the way you the way you reinvent yourself, the way the stories you create around the sports that you do, that's very artistic. That's very creative and innovative. It cannot stay within the numbers and repetitions and series, etc. So I think that these two, uh, these two aspects, these two domains are really interwoven together. So uh, for everyone who, who doesn't know uh, of Fighting Monkey yet, which I think if people have been following um, my work on social media, I, I share a lot of your guys' stuff. I've been heavily influenced by it. Um, my, uh, I teach a little ninja class here in, in Indiana and in central, uh, United States. Uh, mm-hmm. that's really about getting kids to, to play again or give them the space to play again and explore mm-hmm. and create. Um, and then also doing the same thing for adults because adults rarely, everything has become, about the science, about the numbers. So that, that is exercise, right? Exercise. I'm going for a very specific result. I want a specific calorie burn. I want to have this much improvement over this course of time. Mm. Whereas in our ninja class, um, I like to say it's ninjas like you are when you're six years old and you're dancing around and chopping thin air. Like that's the goal. And, uh, we've been playing with the, the monkey ball? Should I call it the monkey ball? <laughs> you can you can call it practice ball. The practice but ball. You can call it monkey ball. It doesn't matter. <laughs> we play with the, with the practice ball. Um, I just got a bunch of of uh, tiny wooden sticks, uh, and been making them balance and and wrestle and avoid and create. Um, so it's been it's been a beautiful avenue to explore play with and interpretation with. Uh, and this is all from afar. So this is, this is the power of social media nowadays, right? I can, I can see videos, I can watch stuff on YouTube. And even if I don't understand the full picture, I can at least start exploring on my own with my people. But mm-hmm. I'm really excited today to maybe understand more of the origins of, of where these practices came from. Um, I know that you didn't just pick it up on YouTube or Instagram and, and play it. Like this has been in development for you guys for a long time. Uh, so I'm really excited to, to better understand all the hard work and, and, uh, sacrifice that went into your, your practice. Um, you know, I, um, I, I do not understand in myself as much as anyone else. Uh, you know, our role basically as educators is open up again, the closed four lines that we have created in many domains in our lives. You know, everyone has an idea of what what the rules, everyone knows how to structure the games and what are the secret ingredients of the games. But we like to open these closed four lines and, again, reinvent the rules. Like what would happen, let's say, if we change the size of the ball and weight of the ball in basketball? Maybe I would change the whole generation of people having different type of body, different type of strategy, different way of developing. So I can help with my 
games to decline whole generation or I can maybe improve the way we think and feel about our bodies and our aging. So I think fighting monkeys, um, it's not a strict, a very um, dogmatically structured uh, research. It, it is rather a platform on which we play, in which we try to inspire people to be more themselves. Um, of course, we are leading all that research and we are leading all that um, ideas, but we really empower our students to go and develop the games as they want. Even if sometimes we feel that many people um, draw, um, how we say, draw legs to a snake, like right? they do something unnecessary, but that's also part of the game. If if uh, if our listeners would see the a beautiful painting of a Bruegel children's game. They they would see this incredible, amazing painting where, you know, there is there is nearly there is just a great amount of children playing, and it is very unstructured. And there is no in this in this very beautiful picture. There is no a central a person that would be leading in or constantly restrict the motion or ideas of other people. It is rather unstructured, and it is not centralized to any point. It's rather decentralized. And we like that idea of um, giving power to people to look what is important in their context rather than doing what, what we would be doing. So we, I understand fighting monkeys an evolving practice um, depending on the context in, in which we appear to be, you know, like if, yes, if we work with a world champion in something, then we have to help him maybe to become a world champion. But if we are looking at the development of life, then maybe... How many times can we re-alternate the, the rules or how many times we can reinvent or how many times we can have a look on, we do many things good, but maybe we can do them also better. Yeah. We also, we also use the words as effective, natural, and, um, you know, and I, and I think, you know, you know what is natural? Natural is to grow, um, get old and eventually die. So sometimes, you know, it's not very good to go natural. <laughs> Or, you know, effective, you know, we also effective, you know, we always try, I have this most effective training and, you know, effective is like, I go on a journey, I go to the top of the mountain and the most effective road is probably the one that been walked through many people, you know, like a, that's the way to get there. But what about getting lost, you know, like seeing things that other people did not see, maybe not being always effective, sometimes taking more time than necessary. Sometimes arriving somewhere much later than other people, but having much broader view or different perspective of seeing other landscape that otherwise wouldn't be seen if you would be only working effectively. Mm. Again, that, that echo of, of art and science, the combination again, right? That's I can, I can feel it permeating your, your thoughts. It's awesome. Um, so I, go ahead. Delta. No, I was I was thinking when when you read neurobiology, when you read how the how the brain works, if you take it the scientific more point of view, you would see that left and right hemisphere maybe they also have different roles sometimes to focus on something, and the other part has more the broader view. So you know it's it's imprinted in us biologically that we need that kind of sometimes being scientific and sometimes being loose and not very specific. So how do you see that coming across in? Uh, your movement practice? 
I mean, you probably seen that um, we creating abstract tools for practicing. So you probably seen the wooden ball, and then you've seen the short sticks, and then you will see more tools appearing. We we do not publish always. We always give ourselves a quite a time until if we show something to a public. It always has to pass through one, two, three years of practicing ourselves with our close group of people. But you will see that if we are making tools abstract enough so they can be taken into different contexts, they can provoke in you a different thinking. So let's say if you have a, you have a kettlebell, kettlebell is beautiful, has great grip, it also looks very good, but maybe change something on that kettlebell and maybe like saw off the, the handle and I don't know, and then tape it in something and then work with it. Or instead of working with the tools, what if you would start to make your training only with another human being? That was the, our idea at the beginning. Like, oh, am I going to work alone and work some kind of drills, uh, or I'm gonna take another human being and I'm gonna be evolving with that another human being? Of course, you're gonna grow in strength and strategy, coordination, rhythm, power exploration. It's gonna be just much more richer working with another human being because you're taking into your world a world of someone else, another person. Yeah, that was actually a topic I really wanted to touch on with you because, um, you know, I remember I had I had a really good friend, uh, Nathan, who's done the podcast with me before. And when we were living in the same town, training together and just being together, spontaneous movement through the through, whether it was through the woods or out in the yard or whatever, whatever it was, those times are so vivid in my memory uh, and the connection felt so um, real. And we, when we talk on the phone, we're still like, man, I wish we could have more of that. And it seems like in our kind of exercise culture, especially in America, everything is, is very, uh, personal, mm. um, very individual. Even when you're working out in a group, there's very little interaction between people. It's more besides verbal motivation, maybe. Yeah. I and I wonder if you could, you know, I think you touched on it a little bit, but talk a little bit more about this idea of, of working with another person, the types of things we're leaving on the table uh, by only being individual. You know, um, uh, I, I see it with Linda, which is maybe for people that are listening. This is something that I developed together with my partner. So, of course, we're working together. We, we did everything in in a, in a body body interaction but i i see i see it in this way like a very major uh, or basic trainings that everyone everyone could i would suggest would be nice if they pass through is body body training which would be all that is related to wrestling greco-romian wrestling judo jiu-jitsu um i don't know uh, african wrestling mongolian wrestling this would be like a very that would like body body close contact training in a more playful way or more martial art way, it doesn't really matter. The other training that must be done, I believe, it's a striking training. So you work with another human being on a distance and you are able to throw your fists or your feet. And again, it does not have to be violent, doesn't have to be only martial arts, but it's basically you are able to generate a kinetic force while you're working on distance. So even a tennis is somehow a striking um, striking sport. It doesn't have to be always a boxing, kickboxing, etc. We can really enlarge that concept. Then another thing is, um, and, um, like if you have a like a um, 
you know, thinking in English, you have a tribal dancing. So you have um, 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 tribal societies where we've been going on hunting and we've been celebrating life together through dancing. So you have the, you know, like you have a Maori fighter. So you have a, I mean, we had the fighters in Slovakia living in the mountains and they've been doing this kind of ritualistic dancing that is super attractive. It's it, 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 like an African dance, you know, like it promotes a great coordination and great rhythm, social interaction, singing, playing an instrument. So this is like a third aspect that we have to be working on. The fourth that I really believe in is we need to be doing sculpting. So basically molding materials around us. We've been doing this since beginning of times. Even animals are doing it, you know, somehow catching the objects around us and altering them in such a way that we can kind of enhance the quality of our living, quality of our communication. So these are like the four basic things that I would kind of uh, highlight. Um, so it is dancing, sculpting, body-body, and striking and the, all everything that would embrace them is basically what we are working on all our life we really work only on communication there's nothing else we work on we don't work on fit body we don't work on healthy body we don't work to be world champions we really work on only how we can enhance the quality of our well-being how we can communicate better with other people our major, um, our major aspect of or a drive into a fitness, into a movement is to become healthy or to become beautiful. But, you know, no one cares how beautiful you are. Everyone is troubled by himself. And health is no guarantee for no one. You know, people go and they do Tai Chi for health or yoga for health. That's not a guarantee. So we have to redefine what health could mean. I think health is not an absence of illness. I think the health is a quality of life that you have with the environment and people that are around you, what kind of relations you can create. And I think that's the most and absolutely covering aspect for all those practices. And then it doesn't matter what you practice, really. If it makes you to be a better human being, I mean, you better communicate with your kids or your wife or your friends, then wow, you've done an amazing job in your life. And it doesn't matter if you're going to die on cancer or not. I mean, it does, but this is not something that you can always influence, you know, or you cannot always influence if you're going to have injury. So I would not go over promising to people, oh, with this system, you will never get injured or with this system, you will be a super athlete. With the, these are things that do not really matter in the long run. You've, you've taken the time to identify what your, your true val, uh, value system is. What are the things that you value the most? And then as long as you're being true to those values, whatever methods you use is fine. It's fine. Of course, it's fine. Yeah. We, we, always, we, we have to be a little bit more ethical when we talk to other people. I am, I'm not trying to teach you with Linda fighting monkey because we are good at it. We are also placing ourselves very much outside of our comfort zone. I mean, we're inviting people that are masters in their fields to visit our field and to confront us. We call it a Phoenix Project. Phoenix Project is someone destroys your ideas. So, you know, like I might say, you know, when you have a fear, you do this and that. And people go like, oh, wow, Josef and Linda are so smart. But then what, what is our job as educators? Okay, we call someone who is really an expert and from biological point of view or martial point of view, what does it mean to have a fear and how to overcome it? So we're bringing in people that can somehow challenge the ideas that we articulate or make them more rich. So, for example, for that, we work with people that are maybe 30 years experience in uh, fear management. I mean, people that are in uh, working in special forces or people preparing people for very 
difficult situations in their life and been training it and uh, been experiencing it for most of their lives. Um, so yes, I mean, that, that is what I see is very important to keep it relevant over the time that you are, that you are developing a system. So we don't become, um, you don't become illusional about what you do because me or Linda, we can really embrace only a certain perspective in life and only a, we can really bring only a very small spectrum into, into what really a movement or a human development could mean. Yeah. We're so lim- we're limited by, by, uh, how much time we have. Right. I, I think about that now, it, you know, uh, to become an expert in any one thing now requires so much time because you have to learn everything that everyone has done before you and then try to add on to it. And it's starting to take an entire lifetime to add to neurobiology or any other subject. Right. Um, I, yeah. So, so uh, you're starting to touch a little bit on some of the principles of your own research process, I think. And that's something else I was really interested in. I think I mentioned in our email, uh, one of the processes destroy, try to destroy what you already know so you can rebuild it better. Right. By bringing other people. Um, I see a lot of, a lot of people in the kind of movement culture sphere right now, uh, Mm. that exists through social media really playing off of each other a lot or kind of repeating similar patterns over and over again. Um, it's like something gets absorbed. Everyone starts to do it. And then the new thing gets absorbed. Everyone still slowly starts to add to it. Right. Whether that was like Ido Portal's uh, method and then functional range conditioning is all over the place and, and et cetera, et cetera. So uh, I find it very, refreshing and interesting that you guys kind of keep things off the grid mm. and it's not like i learned this yesterday let's post it today which i mean that has I mean, it's its own place um well while you guys are kind of staying off the grid and working on your own thing with your close group of people what are the the types of things that you know go into that research process because i i wonder if we've become so consumer heavy that we don't even really know what movement research looks like on a certain level anymore. You know, okay, let's bring this also into context. If we would talk about the research through, um, in a terms of um, university level, then, okay, we cannot call fighting monkey being any research whatsoever because we don't have like 2000 samples, you know, like I would have to have like 2000 people and then make a data and then publish it, etc. So I don't, I already, I already done my PhD. Uh, I don't want to do it again. I think I enough of that. So I'm not interested in much of that. Let's say, let's say it maybe a more accurate word would be not a research, but reflective studies. Okay. So that would be this, um, uh, Phoenix project that we invite the group of people that can bring a relevant questions and maybe, make it more accurate what we are working on or specified in some way or make it more broader uh, so it doesn't get enclosed. But I tell you, I tell you a scheme that we are uh, very much interested in now and uh, developing it a lot. So we create a kind of, or we work on a kind of cycle of, um, if we talk about the movement development, we don't talk about the mental training. We don't talk about the martial art training. We just something in general that people are always asking us very standard. So, I mean, in the beginning of the cycle, development and cycle, we, we talk about the rhythm. 
when uh, and we talk about the coordination. So when, when when we start to coordinate, we start to find a new movement. Then um, then we pass into a uh, so when we have coordinate and when we coordinate well, it becomes rhythmical. So that is coordination rhythm. Good rhythm. So when you coordinate and you become rhythmical, creates a kinetic potential. Kinetic potential gives you a po- opportunity for power exploration. And after power exploration comes strength. So we do everything that is not related to the last point. I think we have so many experts on strength. So we are basically seeing how we are moving. Well, how do we coordinate? How did coordination of our particular body, of our different propositions, how we, how we, how we can make it rhythmical, how we can make it more sound. Rhythmical means becoming more musical. It can be boxing, it can be tennis, it can be table tennis, it can be playing a chess or it can be singing or talking or whatever we can imagine, that gives us a kind of kinetic potential, means that we can produce something that, is in, that can be manifested through space-time. And that gives us a certain power. So this, are, this is kind of cycle that we are working on and applying and trying to figure it out what could be, what could be the training process, what could be thinking process, what could be this... Um, what could be this critical pathway to evolve to better at what what our what we've been born with somehow to say mm-hmm. so you're finding new patterns new uh, new objects that force you to think in different ways new ways to coordinate and then playing essentially play is the highest form of research i think einstein said that maybe play is the highest yeah. form of research and then pl- playing explore <laughs> yeah uh someone important said uh, yeah. And then, uh, playing with that until you find something that you feel like becomes rhythmical or embodied in a, in a new way. And then you're playing with that through power. Do you mean power as in like physical power or power of expression, power of communication? Everything. Okay. All that through the very broad sense. It's not that we are looking for new coordinations. There is really only few coordinations that you can do. And you can also the rhythm is always only that one particular rhythm for every actions you do because you let's say we um, when we are when we are for example we don't we don't work on how much you are stretched or how range of motions have your joints because these are informations that are completely irrelevant to the to your good motion or the uh, or the motion that would not wear off your joints very fast. What you have to look for is to look what is really the composition of your body. What is the proportion of your upper body with your lower body? What kind of dynamics you can produce? So what you what is inherited in you and what you can be developing throughout your life? How you can make better your walking? If you can really make better your walking, you can probably do most of the coordinations for all the sports very well, very good. You basically start to have a look on three body weight centers. How are you organizing three body weight centers above your feet? Whatever athletics we would take, whatever sport we would take, whatever dance we would take, it is always the same question. Can you coordinate your three body weight centers above your feet in relation to the context and the action you want to produce? That's all. Three body weight centers being like your pelvis, your rib cage, and your head? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, awesome. So... Maybe can we talk a little bit about the types of, you know, you lead workshops all around the world and you travel quite a bit because while we were trying to coordinate this podcast, I think you were in three different, four different countries maybe in that span of time. So 
who are the people that you're working with most regularly? You know, what, what kind of people are coming to fighting monkey? What kind of time are they spending on their movement research? Is it just very super wide, uh, widely? I'm just really curious. Mm. Um, most of the work is done by me and Linda. The B are really the motor, the engine for it. So what drives our interest, um, what, what we are interested in, what, what problems we are meeting, this is something that is, that is really the center of, of everything. Then we're bringing in people that are good in various fields. It could be martial arts. It could be chronobiology. In a following intensive, we would have one of the I mean, leading scientists on chronobiology. We have spent it years and years on um, working or reading on environmental biology. You know, like this is how stress influences your body, etc., etc. But chronobiology is something we didn't have a look on much. And this will be something that will be in the following years. It will be very, very important because... Is a kind of cycles through which we pass a day cycle or a month cycle or a year cycle. Or... So this is something we have to have also look at. We, we hardly ever talk about how do you practice in the morning and how do you practice in the evening or how do you practice in the sunrise and how you practice in the sunset. And uh, of course, we, we are maybe most of us, we are not very interested in developing that sensitivity, but it makes total sense for our bodies. Mm. Makes total sense. We just got, you know, we got very egocentric in our way of mapping the world, you know, like in front of me, behind me, on the left side, on the right side, above me and below me. This is kind of egocentric mapping. But we really need to have a look on the allocentric mapping so we kind of see the map from really far, far up. We zoom out and we see what kind of potential is, how we are placing ourselves, how we placing our, how our training is changing as we are aging. This is also very important. And therefore, I think like a sensitivity to time, time space must be also developed. So that's why there is not only repetitions and how many series of a certain exercise you will be doing. That really doesn't tell much. I think we have to more look on the qualities we want to develop throughout our lives. And maybe, you know, like maybe you are young and you're super mobile and everything is okay. But as you are aging, you know, like you start to have a problem in your knees or you have to start to have a problem in your lower back or you have, a, or you have a regular headaches. So you, your practice have to change. Something has to change. You have to adapt because the time space has changed. So we would basically having a look on those things. And we encourage our students, like we have a students that have master degree or a PhD in, let's say, in biology. We say, no, you're going to inform us how this works. So I will ask you and you will teach me. So any, any student that comes in and has a knowledge is teaching us as well. They get that position in a workshop sometimes that we give them a word and they would tell, okay, from their perspective, how does that work? So it can be a student in a workshop or it can be a, someone who is really established and known person or it can be an Olympic champion in judo like it was some other time as you could see in the video if we talk about that team. But it is, should not be related only, even if we talk about athletics and sports and fitness, and we should not be limited only to sport and fitness. We have to really broaden our view. I mean, sometimes sculptors and painters can tell us more about the life than, you know, like the science or biology. Because sometimes we intuitively find many things that had to be waiting, being proven by science for hundreds of years. So, yeah, it just seems like your workshops are very open and you're always looking for anyone that can share something with the, with the group and inform the group. Are the people that come to your workshops, are they dancers? Are they physical enthusiasts or physical culturists? Are they, um, 
you know, how do, what, what type of person ten, tends to come to the workshop? Um, you know, if we have a private events or we have a one-to-one training, it can be someone who does professional sports. So he does it for a living. If it's open workshop, we have people, we have physios uh, appearing more and more. We have dancers. Uh, we have uh, a lot of uh, CrossFit instructors. Uh, we have people that, um, that are interested in movement because it became popular. Uh, we are ex-athletes that are still want to move and they have that edge that would like to be developing. We have people that suddenly have a could not find a solution anywhere else. They had hernia and they didn't know to whom to look at and what kind of solutions they have or options for solutions they have. So they came to us and have a look on our practices. So we have injured people or sick people are coming and searching for maybe some answers that could not find somewhere else. Not that they would be able to give them, but um, so it's really a um, um, big variety of people. We had a lot of artists, people that they never moved before. We have uh, musicians coming in. Uh, people from fine arts. So it's very diverse and therefore it's very beautiful. So is there any, when you have that kind of broad group, are you mainly trying to, like you say, uh, give them enough tools and then let them find their own, like give them some context, but then they find their own way of moving and exploring those contexts. So you keep it, I'm really interested in how you teach a large group without dictating is mm. this, this line seems to be, um, you know, I'm, I come from a, a strength and conditioning background and, uh, I teach in a, in a, uh, fitness and performance gym. Um, and the, the kind of baseline for coaches is to dictate, to be the authority, to be the one who knows and, um, so I'm really interested. I've heard you speak before and you mentioned it, uh, earlier when we were in our discussion about the, the kind of art of guiding without dictating. You know, I mean, you need to be an authority in some way and people have to trust you that you are honest, but I don't think you have to know. I don't think we know. We know so little, the body is so complex that we have, we have really very little idea. Uh, but we like to pretend that we know, but unfortunately we don't. And it's better if, like, a don't know mind is a better than no mind. You know, like, knowing mind has a lot of limitation. Not knowing mind, but mind that is wandering and searching is, is much more active. More you know something, more you think that you know you know something, you are less sensitive to open up. Or it's, it's a, I, say, I generalize, of course, but... It, you have to be always careful how, how many strong walls you create around your soul by knowing. I think from knowing to not knowing is very interesting. And uh, to help you to be in a, in a mode of not knowing is thanks to people around you, that they remind you here and then that your view is limited and you, your knowledge is limited. That does not mean it's wrong or anything, but it's just you cannot embrace the whole complexity of the world. So we start from this, this perspective. What, what we are doing, depending on which thematics we do, if it's anatomy of injury or earthquake architecture or communication training, um, what we try to help you to understand is more who you are. It means like if you, if you would be working on voice, let's, let's not work always and let's not talk always about the movement. Let's say if, if we work about the voice, each of us, we have a different resonating cavities because of the size of our bodies. Each of us have a different zero, like a, the best way we hum 
like make the zero tone from which we can go up and down. So this is for everyone a little bit different. It's like a different fingerprint. So we try to help you to understand even through very structured practice, what does that practice mean in your own body? So it means who you are in that particular practice. What is your composition? What is the context in which you're evolving? Why you and why you're using your body and for what purpose or no purpose? Then we are playing a movement situation. Movement situation is uh, strategic games that help you to understand not only how you practice and uh, can evolve as better as an athlete or whatever, but also how you think. Which, stra- which strategies are you using? How much you want to stuck to the rules? And many times we um, offer a situation, we offer a certain game where the instructions are so loose that you defined these empty spaces. I will give you an example. Uh, what uh, the, la- the way I'm talking to you, it's not the words that they contain the meaning, but it's those empty spaces between the words and the intonation and um, quality of my speech, my articulation that tells much more about me than the actual meaning of the words itself. So that in betweenness, this ambiguity of the language, this poetry of our our body language, the way we make gestures, the way we compose ourselves in the space, can really tell us about who we are and what will be probably our future injuries in communication and in our bodies. So I'm guessing that's part of the the um, requirement, uh, the the need to have a partner, to have someone who can see wh- how you're communicating, where your gaps are, and kind of put you in yes, situations where you where you run up against them. Yeah, not all of them are in partners. Sometimes you work with a whole group. Sometimes you can work also alone. So it's not like all of them, you really absolutely definitely need a partner because some of the practices are necessary to be done alone. On, they're only for you and the experience is only for you. Uh, we call them a zero form. Zero, zero forms are to develop your own internal understanding of how you're composed, what are the necessities that you have to be working through, some kind of immunity checks that you're doing regularly on yourself on how you're aging or how um, how are your cognitive abilities, how is your coordination, etc. So there are many things that can be done alone. So you're not dependent always to have a partner. Um, so it, the partner's training is a complementary to your individual training. Uh could you give a, give me an example of like a, a self check? Um, I was I was afraid you were gonna ask. <laughs> uh, uh, I, you know I'm I'm speaking English, uh, but the words really are not my greatest friends. Uh, it, the best would be you know if you come to a workshop, you would experience it through the through the Skype. It's a little bit difficult to explain. Um, um, That's totally, it, it's totally fine. If if we could always wait, I, I can wait for a workshop. <laughs> we call them zero form because you need to find out where is your zero means that from which point you can be moving almost in any direction again if it would be voice you should be able to go a little bit lower and a little bit higher to be able to express yourself emotionally to be to have a full capacity full complexity of your language to be expressed and communicated to the other person the same immunity check would be for your body so we do zero forms are the forms within which you do a kind of regular checkup. So they are similar. 
means that you always repeat certain type of practice. Um, they are important internal variations, but they basically serve, the repetition serves you to understand, oh, this morning my knees felt really tired in that form. And so I understand I need to alter my training today or my whole week was good, but suddenly I feel my lower back is getting tired with this zero form. Or instead of spending 100 readings on that particular practice, I spend it only 40. Oh, I have improved my immunity. Or I wasn't disturbed with so many thoughts. Or, my, or I could be focused. Or my, or my coordination was much more defined. So this, is the, this would be probably the indication for listeners how, how that works. Okay. So I'm imagining uh, a couple thoughts popped in my head, uh, kind of like a morning practice. But it could be a stillness practice, could be meditation, could be joint rotations and kind of just gently waking the body up and checking in. Bravo. Exactly. This is, this is the thing. This is the thing. Awesome. So you kind of touched on how you have three different, um, workshop series that you guys talk about. Could you just explain like a, a, the, the principle idea behind each like earthquake architecture versus communication versus um anatomy of injury anatomy of injury yeah um essentially without lying to anyone they are all the same <laughs> because you know you are the same person you it's the same the research what what changes though is the attention where you're gonna put the most of the focus on um, uh, you know, with everything, even with, um, I give you an example. Uh, so let's say we would be working on boxing. Uh, I use boxing because everyone knows boxing. I don't, I don't say table tennis because not everyone played table tennis, but boxing is more, we, we see it, we like it. It's representation of something. Boxing can be, um, amazing tool for really a combat, but boxing is absolutely amazing physio tool. If we truly understand what boxing is offering mentally, um, um, coordination-wise, rhythm, it is an incredible physio tool. If you would visit our workshop and you would be doing a boxing deals and boxing partner uh, training with us, you would understand, oh, this is a mental training. This is not at all boxing training mm-hmm. because attention has shifted. And we can also, when I work with my MMA trainer, he... He really only think combat. When uh, I work the boxing deals with, with, with my friends, we would work more on the memories of very complicated improvisational skills. Um, other times I would be working on how I can open my lower back better, how I can coordinate better my upper body with my lower body. And so you see, there is nothing really revolutionary. I cannot say to, I mean, I would love to say to everyone, everyone who listens, like, you know, the fighting monkey is the best thing in the world. I really think it's really incredible what we put into in these 20 years of uh, work on that, uh, that you've seen in last two years or whatever. There is really a huge body of practice behind. But uh, I think what we offer is, um, we always have, we are able to give you awakening up call. So you've been doing a judo, we can help you to make the judo again alive. You know, the, the major problem is that, you, you know, we start with something. Uh, we start, let's say, I don't know, we start to write the poems. At the beginning is exciting, but over the time we get bored. 
And that is the sign that we are aging, that we are unable to make it fresh again, to see it like, like you've seen it for the first time, that you are writing the poem for the first time. We become very mechanic in our work. You, you start to play, I don't know, you, you do... You do like a very gentle joint preparation over, over a certain amount of time, over five, 10 years. You don't want to do it anymore. You feel like I've done it. And maybe that's true and maybe it has to pass somewhere else. But we also need to understand how, uh, how the aging hits in by the fact that we, we just become accommodated to it. And we are unable to change our practice in such a way that we feel fresh and, re- re- how we say, re- revitalized mm-hmm. by it. It's the same but different. Your interpretations, your reflections, how you're interacting with it is different and it evolves over time. Yeah. And you're I, helping people kind of find that that new wake-up call, that new evolution, that new perspective, and then they can take it and apply it to everything else. Yeah, I mean, I hope, you know. Yeah. I, I mean, who am I? I'm really, I'm no one. I, I, I think people help themselves mostly. I think we give them only opportunity to realize some things. And maybe maybe for many not, but it uh, seems like for m- many, yes. Yeah. Well, I, I have uh, several uh, colleagues and friends who have actually done fighting monkey like uh, uh, Rafe Kelly. Um, it was, I think went out uh, on the West Coast when your West Coast trip. And then uh, Chandler Stevens did an intensive with you recently. I don't know if you remember him. <laughs> Um, and they seem to take a lot out of it. So I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt there. (laughs) I'm happy. Um, Chandler actually asked, wanted me to ask about, um, if you could expand a little bit more on the idea of needing to train multiple things at once so that you maintain them. Um, I think, you know, I don't know if that makes sense. Uh, but often in, in fitness, we kind of think like, Oh, I can only really change one quality at one time. Like we're going, if we're going to improve strength, we have to, we, we cannot improve endurance. Like that's kind of at a high level. That's the the thought process. Right. But, um, could you kind of expand on that? Like the idea of all these qualities, how do you hold on to them? How do you continue to develop them? Well, it's very complex question. Um, and I can only generalize and probably I will, I will miss the point. But um, I, I give you an example about the strength. So we are working with a guy who is really a, a top, top guy, a world level. Uh, uh, and it's not like I like that world very much, but I, I need to say that because he's a friend of mine. We grew together um, since we've been born and he's like a top instructor in a special forces and he's like a a world-class combat shooter and he prepares his colleagues for survival and for dealing with a really high level of stress in really um, particularly demanding situations. And when we've been talking about, for example, a strength, he said, if I spend too much time on strength, someone might die because I need only a certain amount of strength in my life. But when I get that strength, I need to spend more time on tactics on communication and on other technical skills in order to judge the situations in which I am more carefully or more precisely rather than only gaining a strength or more mobility or whatever we would, we could talk about. I think we live pretty complex lives and these complex lives that we live, they, they, they need, um, um, they need a good attention and they need a very good observation of what is happening. I think if we talk again about what 
covers everything. It's a communication. How you communicate with yourself, how you communicate with the others, how you can perceive the change. Something has changed in the environment. It's like when you look at the Matrix movie and he, say that he saw the cat second time, he said, oh, something has changed. Mm-hmm. Are, are we having that capacity to see something has changed? Most of the time we go mechanical over and over again. So is, is, is your practice helping you to understand how to improve your life? And if your life is to become a champion something, then you have to even better, you have to be better observer if you're leading yourself into an injury or if you're leading, if your training is is accurate to the reality that you will be experiencing in a following year in your competitions. So um, I think you have to, your training has to be quite complex and that complexity cannot be done in training itself. The training or the, the practice, but let's rather call it a practice, has to be broad enough to develop you as a whole person. If you're not developing as a whole person, I, I, don't, I don't think you can be champion or, or, or person that is, I mean, enjoying his life. So if, you know, training, I think I, I geek out on training and all the complexities, but I work with many people who training is an hour a day that they're supposed to check off of a a list, Mm -hmm. right? They come in. I want you to do the thinking for me. I want to come in and work hard. And then I want to go home. Mm -hmm. Um, so how do you, what are some strategies or thoughts on how we kind of broaden that perspective for the, for those people? Like how, how can we, is it that we challenge them to think bigger and think more and complex and take some of that on their, on their self or how, how would you approach that? Well, these are, these are the, um, five social forces that you are talking now about, you know, economics, politics, religious, technology, culture that all influence that way. You know, so someone comes to you and in one hour wants to be done. Well, give it what they need. If they want that for a little while, give it to them. So it's better than nothing. So they came, I mean, you are there, you try to give them your best. Even, I mean, doing that type of exercise and another type of exercise and another type, it's good. It, there's nothing bad about it. I know it can be improved, and but not everyone also wants. But I think by who you are and the way they start to kind of connect with you as a, as a human being, they will probably start to copy a little bit your lifestyle or your ideas. And you just uh, very slowly by who you are will influence them. And eventually they will do whatever you will do. So I think if you're proposing something, something and you are sensitive enough and you're communicating well, I think everyone will be happy to follow. Uh, I can actually, I can see that a little bit in that, you know, I, uh, I just love, I love games. I love playing. I love seeing people smile. And for me, kind of the, the launch of the, the ninja class that I was talking about earlier was kind of a step out. And I found that, um, yeah, I created a really unique culture. And now I've had people that have been with me for three years training this way and, you know, I, they will play knee tag games with their kids. They will do all these things. Like it, it's not just in the class right now. And I, so I can see that perspective. That's exactly, that's exactly. 
they were asking me like um, some of my students asked me what to how to work with old people they don't want to be exercising of course they don't maybe you have to change the game in a different way you say okay my child needs for a school to collect some leaves would you help me to collect those leaves and of course these old people will like to help they like to be useful in their life they like to be part of community they they, they want to feel that they are needed and so you will be able to take them out and they will be very happily helping you. And that's much more beneficial than doing any exercise indoors. So you, you, have, to be, you have to be a great person. I mean, you have to find the ways how to, how to get people to, I mean, or I, I think essentially it's their responsibility. But you can really help or propose some things that would be maybe beneficial for other people. Yeah, well, it, like you said, if they're kind of stuck, though, because people can get stuck then you mm. could be an avenue for them. And I think the, the, the strength coach or like the personal trainer now is in a really unique position in, in American culture because um, we, are ex- we are starting to become accepted as like a necessary part of mm. helping people be healthy. So we get such a wide variety of people from different backgrounds who will walk into a gym now. Like that's like – I could get someone who's just had two knee replacements um, Mm. and has never lifted a thing in their life, or I could get the 13-year-old who wants to be great at soccer, or I could get anything in between. So we have this – we're not working with a specific population anymore. We are working with the broad population, and I always find it uh, interesting that people will close them out themselves off like coaches will close themselves off to games and other things because uh if you want to help people you need to find a a way for them to enter a way for them a a bear remove the barrier right so maybe uh deadlifts and overhead presses are not appealing to the person who's 70 years old and that's okay so like how do you how do you open a new opportunity how do you give them a new way to get involved to find something. Um, yeah. So you're I, able to embrace that complexity of different people that are coming to you. I mean, your, your life as a trainer, as educator somehow should be rich enough to be able to share with whom, with whomever who is coming to you to is asking for help or would like to be trained by. you. So I think, um, yeah, the richness of the games or the rich, rich, richness of the open, open platform is very, very important. And it's so interesting to me how interactive, you know, I, again, the, these games, the types of things, the drills that, that you guys do, how you mentioned the word alive earlier, like bring some aliveness to it because I can come in and give you like two situations. Someone walks into the gym, they lay down, they start to foam roll, they do their warm up, they do their lifts, and then they leave. That same person the next day, if I, if they come in and I say, Hey, Let's try something first, and I braid out the the practice ball, or mm-hmm. I just start playing catch with them in mm-hmm. the warm up, um, or I say, "Hey, let's chase each other around. Let's play dodgeball." Like the amount of yeah. laughter, movement, varied types of movement is so it's so much richer, and yeah. they seem more engaged instantly. Yeah, I wonder why right. we don't do more of it. <laughs> <laughs> It's difficult to see the results. That's why we are so much result orientated. But even if you, if you, even if you have in front of you a, a top athlete, without creativity, without, it's it's very difficult. I mean, we are everyone 
on the, I mean, in top sports, everyone is really on the top level, even with including with the chemistry. What will make that extra a little millimeter forward is being a little bit faster or being a little bit more creative in your game. How are we going to bring that? How are we going to awaken that in that highly demanding situations? I think this this requires a lot of creativity and we need to practice that creativity nearly every day. So uh, we're coming up on an hour and this has been fantastic. Joseph, thank you so much for the time. I would want to touch on maybe just one or two more things. Does that sound good? Yeah, that's okay. Okay. Um, Can we talk about injury a little bit? Because I know this Mm -hmm. might be a thing that, that is uh, injuries don't just scar the physical body. They scar the emotional body. And I see it so much with the people that I work with. A lot of them are scared away from movement because of an injury. Mm-hmm. Or they're scared to move in the future because of the potential of injury. Um, right. So, what? How do we talk about injuries? How do you how do you talk about injuries with people? What is the anatomy of the injury? How do we help people feel like injury might be part of the learning process? So there's more there to kind of let go of that fear. Okay, again, I will generalize, and, I, and these are not the golden rules that must be applied all the time. But I, I will mention a few that come to my mind. It's a very complex issue, but let's say we always say that we will always a little bit injure you in our training. We will always test you in such a way that you will next day maybe feel something is wrong. But it is such a small injury that will only tell you, oh, oh, my lower back is really stiff. Maybe do I do something in my coordination that is really bothering my lower back? Is this beginning of my hernia in following 10 years? Or we create a situations that will really help you to understand that you are leaning forward and you are not rooting your feet properly and that you are having difficulty to breathe and you have difficulty to relax your knees, basically telling you again that, oh, maybe in 15 years I will have maybe broken cross ligaments or tear cross ligaments or the broken meniscus or maybe my hips will lose completely their mobility so what what we would be doing we would be doing few tests uh, in anatomy of injury and those tests would show you how much of mobility you already lost let's say if we talk about the um, hip mobility we lose from 40 to 70 percent of our hip mobility throughout our life and we get these young athletes and um, we work with them and they are completely healthy. They train every day and we just sh- show them. I mean, I don't have to show them. They they pass through the practice that we offer them and they realize themselves. They ask themselves, oh, okay, you said 40 to 70, but it seems like I already lost at least 50% of my hip mobility uh, because I'm, of course, I am I'm also practicing with them. Linda is also practicing. We are over 40 and we've been working all our life for six hours a day. And still our hip mobilities and the coordinations that we do is something that nearly no one can do, even if it's in the top of their top of their, their I mean, sport career, athletic career. So it's basically we, we create these small injuries to make you help you understand what might happen in 10, 15 years. Or we help you understand how powerful is the gravity. And the gravity is the main cause of greatest injuries we have in our lives. Gravity is invisible, but it's an enormous force that is acting on our body every day. It's enough if your head is a little bit forward or you like to keep your shoulders a little bit up because it makes your body look more 
bulky and more strong. This over time will become a serious trouble. First it starts as a, as a nice habit or a nice shape. Eventually it becomes a very strong habit and eventually it will create a lot of disbalances in your bodies. The other, the other aspect is we, we show you how we are thinking or you show yourself, we, we just offer you a mirror to see how, how we are thinking, how rigid you are in your thinking, how, how uncreatively or creatively are you solving the situations. So this would be a second aspect. The, the the third aspect is to understand that depending what you do, um, you will be eating up your body. This is just a biological matter. I mean, you are we will not become immortals. So eventually, your this is like a biodegradation. You know, eventually we get injured and we will have a problem. The question is how we can how we can postpone the aging and. And what does it mean in the context we are living? Maybe you're an Olympic champion and, and you want to stay on that level for the rest of your life, or for the rest of your sport career. And um, you say, I prefer to be an Olympic champion even if it eats my body. So I, I sacrifice my body. I'm a hero. Like when you, when you have a, like a top people, they are really behaving like a heroes from Homer's Iliad. I prefer to die in what I do rather than stay healthy. So and then within that that kind of frame of thinking, you also they come to you because they they even with that pain that they have, you try to help them to understand how they could how the pain could be smaller, how the coordination could improve, how their preparation for the for the for the competition could change. We try to solve many troubles with the strength training, but I think we are completely missing the point. As much as we are missing the point when we do when we do rehabilitation through isolated exercises. Uh, I am not to criticize anyone, and what do I know about uh, physiotherapy or anything? But we are living in really in a stone age. If we think that through isolated exercises we can help anything, we really are only one animal. And if you have a problem in your ankle, it came up through the whole body coordination, unless you've been hit by the car. But if it's because of the training that you do, the demands that you have on your body, it is all about the rhythm, coordination, and kinetic potential that you can produce or that I mean, your body can produce. So it is understanding the context within which injuries are happening. And already when you start to see those things, you're becoming more healthy. You understand the context in which you might develop an injury or how you might potentially prevent it. And please, let's not promise to ourselves that we can be injury-free or health completely 100% proof. You know, we used to say we are, um, we are like a bulletproof and we are like anti-fragile. I mean, oh my God, we are so fragile. And we are not even so strong. I mean, in the animal's world, you know, like we are, we are not even making it to the middle. We are so unadaptive. We are so, we are so, I mean, of course we can say we are very adaptive because of our prefrontal cortex and through the evolution, how we manage to do things. But, you know, we, we are not very resilient and we are abusing ourselves constantly because we are so ignorant to what we want instead of to listening what, what it would be maybe good for ourselves. So that that's, you know, part of your anatomy of injury, if I can kind of summarize, would be um, putting yourself in positions where you understand where you're making compensa- compensations, where you understand better how your entire body is moving. And if you can't move a certain way or if you avoid a certain thing, that might give you a clue as to how to form your practice to develop coordination, rhythm, and kinetic potential in that area. 
and yes, you know the, it's much more of a it's much more of a coordination and a motor control if i could say motor control issue than it is as much like a a strength training issue yes i think so yeah i mean i've seen you know i i i, I walk into this great jiu jitsu um class and and there is this tiny boy I mean, there are many of them. They are super muscular and super powerful. But you have the tiny boy that really is 30 kilos less than me. But he understands movement. So he can choke me anytime he wants. He doesn't. I mean, strength did not play a much role. Of course, I was less experienced than him. After top level, maybe you need a strength and, and everything. But I think we, after strength, okay, let you, maybe you need the strength. Maybe you need. Um, uh, I'm, not, I'm not against at all. I think it's absolutely necessary. But then after your strength training, please return to see again your coordination and your rhythm. And again, how you can produce kinetic potential and create a power exploration for whatever practice you have. I am not saying no to nothing because I don't know anything. And I think there are many great people that are teaching the strength and they are doing it in an absolutely fantastic way that people do not um, abuse themselves and they really develop very well. So kind of rapid fire last last questions would be um for anyone listening what is one practice or one thing that they could start doing every day that would be um you know a way to start testing their coordination would it just be putting on music and dancing would it be- <laughs> <laughs> That we could get lost in aesthetics, you know. Like I see that, <laughs> no, the answer would be would be more complex. Um, I I think it really. Uh, I think what we offer with all the modesty, I think we can really help you to understand where you are at your aging process mentally and also physically. We've put a lot of hours and a lot of years into developing uh, movement situations that might help you to understand what's going on. It's it's not like we know anything, but you know, uh, um, the schemes and the games that that we've been working on, been testing, um, seems like um, I, I rather I rather simple, but complex in in their in their in their proposition. Um, if there was, you know. During the the kind of uh, formation of Fighting Monkey, I actually I never know how did you and Linda meet. I don't think I ever got that part. <laughs> I didn't say that. I said, <laughs> she was a special agent. No, I'm kidding. No. <laughs> uh, um, um, I'm, we met in a very known um, art group, and um, and you know she was very appealing because she she was like an ex ex-champ, like a sport gymnastic champion, so she, she looked hilarious, she looked amazing, uh, she had all the, all the physical up, up appearance that, that I was attracted to, and then also I liked, she's, she's coming from this kind of very tough um, background, you know, she's, she's a money, she's coming from money, money is a region in Greece, it's a, it's a region where the, all the greatest warriors of Greece were born, you know, it's a Sparty and money. And I, somehow she carries that in her blood. So I, I was somehow attracted to that character immediately. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, what made you guys decide to start sharing this stuff in the last two years? 
Um, people suggested that it would be better for us to share it and not keep it in a cave. And and uh, and uh, I was opposing it for a really long time because I thought if, if the work is good and can spread through the words, and which is absolutely true because even if we post last two days more, I mean, we really do not exist. I mean, if you look at the subscription in our YouTube or our Facebook, we, we really do not exist yet. So it is really from mouth to mouth that people are filling the workshops and I'm very happy about it. But it was people around us that, that told us they would be nice to do it. And you know, it was very good because it helps us to formulate things better mm. in public. So it is really only for good and I'm very thankful for that. Wonderful. Um, where can people find your stuff? Where can they sign up for a fighting monkey workshop? Um, we will be, be uh, intensive. I mean, all, everything is sold out uh, this year, except that we are coming to, uh, in end of the year, we're coming to Canada. We come to Cornwall, Toronto, and then we will be teaching some baseball people, but that's a closed thing. And then uh, we have still a few spots in um, Barcelona and London. So if you look at the um, look at our calendar, you, you for sure you will find some spots this still here. There are not many, but there are some. And if someone wants to host you, can they reach out to you via your website as well? Yeah, yeah, they just write an email and and uh, and it's pretty easy. I mean, it's very quite easy to get us anywhere if the if the schedule allows it because we like to be more and more with our kids. Oh, how old are your kids? Uh, four and uh, four and ten. Four and ten. I've got a three and a one-year-old. Yeah. Good yeah. luck. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. These are real masters, you know, that we should be talking only about the kids. Uh, yeah. You know, it's interesting because as much as I, I think about training uh, and movement and all those things, uh, the kids just take priority instantly. It's just, and and, yeah. As soon as they walk in the room, it all goes out the door. <laughs> but uh so it's actually it's it's father's day here in america so happy father's day to you thank you so much yes we have it also here so oh wonderful and yeah. uh so thank you for spending some time with with uh with me today and with our listeners and guys um i'm gonna be putting links to all the fighting monkey stuff in the show notes some of my favorite videos youtube stuff um definitely give them a follow and check out their workshops i hope you got uh, something awesome out of the conversation today. I'm really thankful for the time and uh, I hope to see you soon at a workshop. Thank you so much. Thank you for everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Have a nice evening. Once again, thank you, Joseph. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Check out the Human Animal Podcast on iTunes or at freefitguy.com. Uh, give us a review. Send me a comment to the human animal podcast at gmail.com and definitely check out unleash the power That was a lot of dot coms, but yeah, find something you like, share it, love it. I'll see you guys next time.